It just seemed so bizarre. This man had gone on a test drive and he hadn't come back. This is Betrayed, an original podcast series from Penguin Random House Canada. I remember thinking to myself, that's the kind of story that either you never hear about again because it will be found out that he just went out on a bender and is sleeping it off, or it has the potential to become a really big mystery. I'm Tina Pitaway. On this episode of Betrayed, the notorious case of a man who put his truck up for sale on the internet and was never seen alive again. There was a betrayal of public trust, you know, people thinking, wow, I can't sell something online, it could be dangerous. A shocking crime. There was evidence that there'd been a massive bloodletting in the truck. That left one family shattered. It was just a truck. You don't need him, but I do. And our daughter needs her daddy back. And another family asking if their daughter's disappearance was connected. It's an awful story. I mean, the disappearance of, of Laura is, is just a terrible story. Dark Ambition, Part 1. Good morning. This is regarding a missing person, Timothy Bosma. On April 28, 2013, Timothy Bosma posted his 2007 Dodge Ram pickup truck for sale on two different websites. It was a Dodge 3500 Ram. It was black and it was a diesel truck. And it had become a money-eater for the Bosma family. They'd sunk a lot of uh, funds into repairing it, and they were a young family on a tight budget, and they were looking to drive something that fit their budget a little better. And there hadn't been many takers. So when they finally got a call from what seemed like a good prospective customer, they were really keen to go on that test drive and make that sale. Anne Brocklehurst is a journalist and licensed private investigator in Toronto. And as the author of Dark Ambition, The Shocking Crime of Dellen Millard and Mark Smitch, she's followed this story since the beginning. I've always been interested in people who go out for the proverbial pint of milk and don't return home. And it was on May 8, 2013, that Anne first heard the news that a man from Ancaster, about an hour's drive west of Toronto, was missing. It was a short item on the morning news about a man who had gone on a test drive and hadn't returned. Tim Bosma was 32 years old. He worked in the construction business. He and his wife Charlene had been married for three years and were parents to a baby girl. Members of the Christian Reformed Church, they planned on having a big family. Detective Sergeant Matt Cavanaugh is with the Hamilton Police Service. On Monday, May 6th, a mail party arranged by telephone to view the truck at Mr. Bosma's residence in Ancaster. Earlier on that Monday morning, Tim had texted this man to work out the details. The man said he'd be traveling from Toronto. Tim asked if they could meet at 7 p.m. 
He also offered to meet in Hamilton, which was closer to Toronto, as opposed to Tim's home in Ancaster. The day went by and Tim didn't hear anything back. And by the time he got home from work, he'd started to think that this guy from Toronto was going to be a no-show. Finally, at 7.22, Tim got a text from the potential buyer saying he was en route, but would need another hour or so. Charlene later said that Tim was rattled at how late it was getting. A hockey fan, he paced back and forth in the living room as a playoff game got underway on television. He said it made no sense for someone to come so late for a test drive, seeing as it would soon be dark out. He got his daughter into her pajamas and spent a bit of time playing with her on the couch before handing her over to Charlene, who put her to bed for the night. The sun was setting. It was just before 9 o'clock. It's just getting dark. A short while later, Charlene headed out to the garage for a cigarette with a fellow named Wayne DeBeer. The Bosma's tenant who lived in a granny apartment in their house. Tim was inside. They heard his cell phone ring. As he answered it, they heard male voices and footsteps. They looked out of the open garage door and saw two men on foot. Definitely the Bosma house was not somewhere that you go without a car. And the crazy thing about this story is it was these two men alone walking up this long country driveway and they didn't have any visible means of transportation and they arrived late at a time that's not really normal to go on a test drive. Tim came out of the house, still on his cell, spotted the two men, one of whom was on the phone with him, and he ended the call. And he makes a joke to them. He says, oh, you didn't have to sort of leave your car uh, wherever you left it. You can park it in the driveway. And they replied that, oh, their friend had dropped them off and he had gone to Tim Horton's. Tim made brief small talk with the men. Charlene later testified that she hung back from talking with them, saying it was Tim's truck, and she didn't want to interfere. One of the men, the shorter of the pair, was wearing a red hoodie that partially hid his face. He didn't make eye contact with Charlene or Wayne. Charlene later described him as sketchy. After a quick inspection, the whole encounter lasted about a minute in total, the two men got into the truck. The taller man was the one who had spoken with Tim on the phone. He got in the driver's seat. The shorter man in the hoodie got in the back seat, and Tim hopped into the front passenger seat. At approximately 9.20 p.m., Mr. Bosma went for a test drive with two young males in this pickup truck. Mr. Bosma had told his spouse that the males stated that they were from Toronto. Mr. Bosma has not been seen or heard from since this time. Okay, so, so they head out, uh, Charlene and the tenant Wayne DeBeer, they, they watch them drive away. What did they make of these guys? They both thought this was a little bit weird, but they weren't really suspicious of it. Otherwise, they would have done something to put an end to it. But they did think it was sketchy a bit. And the tenant made a joke to Charlene, black humor. He said, that may be the last time we ever see Tim, and he did it to put her mind at ease, pick the most outlandish, ridiculous situation and make a joke about it, and then you won't worry about the more minor things. So they laughed, and they went inside. Wayne went back into his apartment to watch the hockey game. Charlene went inside to watch a bit of television as well. 
She got pretty absorbed in her program, and when it was finished, about an hour later, she realized Tim still wasn't back from the test drive. And that's when she became alarmed. So she phoned the tenant again and said we should go out and look for him. Did Bosman tell his wife where they were heading for the drive, like down the street, anything like that? I don't believe Mr. Bosman knew. It was uh, just for a test drive and they were going out. Charlene made a few calls, then headed out to the Brassy Pub, a local Lancaster spot. She hoped to find Tim and the men there, celebrating the truck sale with a pint of beer. Wayne went to the Tim Hortons, where the men had said their friend was waiting, to see if they were there. They weren't. Then he went to some big box stores nearby, thinking they might have wanted to take advantage of the lights in the parking lot to inspect the truck better. And then on the way home, he was starting to get pretty worried, so he called his mother, who worked in a civilian capacity with uh, another police force, and said, what should we do? Do you have to wait 24 hours to report a missing person? And she told him, no, if the circumstances are unusual, report it right away. So Charlene went and met with the police. Through witnesses, police have developed a description of the two males that Mr. Bosma was last seen with. The first male is described as male white, Six foot one to six foot two, 170 to 180 pounds. Charlene and Wayne provided police with descriptions of the suspects. Remember, they spent less than a minute in the driveway, and though they were only several feet away, neither Charlene nor Wayne spoke to them directly. In a long sleeve orange shirt. The first male the police describe is the man who was on the phone with Tim as they approached the house, the one who got in the driver's seat. He's in his mid-twenties, brownish hair, and the taller of the two. The other man... Early to mid-twenties. He's the one who was wearing the red hoodie, the guy they found kind of sketchy. He's younger. Approximately five foot nine to five foot ten tall. And a fair bit shorter than the other man. So the police in this case jumped on it really fast. At the news conference, reporters asked Detective Kavanaugh if Tim had his cell phone with him when he left the house. Yes, he did. Uh, it's been turned off, but uh, yes, we have uh, some data from it. So the first thing they did was they made an emergency request to Tim Bosma's cell provider. And they were able to get, within an hour or two of him being reported missing, the telephone numbers that had called him. From the numbers provided by Bosma's cell service, investigators identified which one belonged to the men who'd shown up in his driveway. The police then contacted that cell provider and learned it was a pay-as-you-go phone, commonly called a burner phone, registered to Lucas Bell, a name they later learned was fake. Police then acquired a list of numbers this burner phone had called. And what the police did on the overnight shift, this is in the early hours of the morning, they started plugging the numbers that the burner phone had called into Google. And they found that those numbers went back to other people who were selling 3,500 trucks. Obviously these males and the evidence that we have so far, they were targeting a certain type of vehicle and it was a Dodge Ram 3,500. So if they have that type of vehicle for sale, they are to beware. Word spread quickly within Tim and Charlene's circle of friends in Ancaster. It's a tight-knit community where Tim was born and raised. The day after his disappearance, friends set up search parties. 
they fanned out across several areas that they identified as places to check out, until police asked them to stop due to fears that they could destroy potential evidence. They then switched their focus to distributing pictures of Tim and his truck across as wide an area as possible, as well as spreading the word on social media. On May 9th, three days after his disappearance, Charlene Bosma pleaded for the return of her husband. My husband, Tim, is a loving father to our beautiful two-year-old girl, and she needs her daddy back. We hope and we pray that today is the last day of this nightmare. Tim is blonde and has wonderful blue eyes. When he gives a big smile, which he does frequently, he has dimples in his cheeks. He has a dimple in his chin. The same dimple that our daughter has. It was just a truck. It is just a truck. You don't need him. But I do. And our daughter needs her daddy back. So please, please let him come home. So we need him to come home. And may God have mercy on you. The next day, the police released the information about the ambition tattoo. From the cellular records and interviews, police have found that these two same individuals that attended Mr. Bosma's house test drove a similar type of vehicle in the city of Toronto on May 5th in the middle of the day. The owner of this vehicle was not harmed. Igor Tumanenko is a tall and imposing figure. He had served several years in the Israeli army and he had an eye for detail. The owner was able to provide a description of the two males. This description of the two males matched the description provided by Mrs. Bosma. The gentleman from Toronto described and added to this description on one of his wrists, he wasn't sure if it was a left or right, where a person wears a watch was the word ambition. The ambition tattoo. And in this, they got very lucky. And Igor saw that and told the police and it was by sending out a query to police forces that the Hamilton police eventually tracked down who this person was with the ambition tattoo. There was something else unusual about that test drive, something that in hindsight, many believe saved Igor's life. Igor told police that during the test drive, the demeanor of the two suspects changed when he mentioned his military past. They were driving along and they were talking about the engine in the truck that Igor had for sale. It was something called a Cummins engine. And he said, oh, I worked on a lot of these when I was in the Israeli army. Igor, who was in the passenger seat, said the man sitting behind him asked, Well, what did you do when you were in the Israeli army? And as Igor tells it, he said, You don't want to know what I did in the Israeli army. And he says after that they exchanged looks and there was kind of an ominous silence. And then eventually he went home and never heard from them. 
He told the cops that it was a weird situation, and he definitely thought this Israeli army remark changed the mood in the vehicle. Igor's description of the ambition tattoo led to a suspect being identified by two police sources. Both told detectives in two separate police departments about a man from the Toronto area who had an ambition tattoo on his left arm, just above the wrist. It's really the ambition tattoo that identified them. We could still be looking for the killers today. On May 11th, five days after Tim Bosma went missing, Superintendent Dan Kinsella of the Hamilton Police Service spoke to the media. An arrest has been made in this case. Dellen Millard, 27 years old, from Toronto, has been charged with forcible confinement and theft over $5,000. Millard is the suspect with the ambition tattoo. Millard was arrested without incident while driving on Cothra Road in Mississauga. Tim Bosma has not been located and our greatest priority is the welfare and locating of Tim Bosma. Anyone who knows where Tim is, please help return Tim to us. For those responsible, turn yourself in. Dellen Millard's arrest shocked those who knew him. An heir to an aviation company, Millard owned several million dollars worth of properties in and around Toronto. The day after Tim Bosma disappeared, Millard paid $600,000 cash for a condo. People following the case were confused as to why someone with so much money was targeting trucks online to steal. With his arrest, police searched several properties in hopes of finding evidence that could lead them to Tim. The Bosma truck was found in a giant trailer parked in Millard's mother's driveway. And when they opened it up, they found it had been stripped. The seats were missing. The carpets were missing. It was in bad condition. There was evidence that there had been a massive bloodletting in the truck, and they found a, a cartridge from a gun, and they found evidence that there had been some kind of attempt to clean up the truck. The search of Millard's properties included the Millard Air Hangar and Millard's Farm, both on the outskirts of the Kitchener-Waterloo area, within easy driving distance of Toronto, as well as the Bosma home. When the police arrived at the farm with their search warrants, there was a guy out there dirt biking. He used to dirt bike on Millard's farm, and the police waved him over and said, uh, what are you doing here? And he explained to them, and they asked him if he'd seen anything suspicious, and he said, well, yeah, there's this crazy machine that he thought resembled a smoker, um, and he didn't know what it was. It was so weird that he'd taken a picture of it. Apparently, it was massive in size. When people saw it, they were just overwhelmed by the size. So the police said, well, take us to this machine. 
And this dirt biker did take them to the machine. And it was uh, a livestock incinerator for medium-sized animals. And I think everyone was just gobsmacked because this was just so bizarre and awful and creepy and pointed to some kind of weird murder. And when you say farm, there were no animals on the farm, right? There were no animals on the farm. It was not a working farm. There was just a barn. Once they looked inside the incinerator and saw bones, they contacted a forensic anthropologist, Tracy Rogers, and the police wanted to find out from her whether she believed these were animal bones or human bones. She and a group of her students set up their workstation at the farm, and they spent days going through the uh, eliminator, removing uh, everything they could find inside. There were two major pieces of bones, and then there were uh, dozens of smaller bone fragments and they identified all of these that they were capable of identifying. On May 14th, eight days after Tim Bosma's disappearance, Hamilton Police Chief Glenda Kerr spoke to the media. It is with heavy heart that the Hamilton Police Service today announce the death of Ancaster resident Tim Bosma. Our investigation led to the identification of several locations related to the accused, Dellen Millard. A number of searches have taken place and human remains have been located. We are convinced by the totality of the evidence that these are the remains of Tim Bosma. The evidence indicates that the remains have been burned. With Dellen Millard in custody, speculation about the other suspect ran rampant on social media. Then, on May 22nd, 11 days after the arrest of Millard... Today, the Hamilton Police Service arrested Mark Smitch, 25 years, of Oakville, Ontario. He will face a charge of first-degree murder. Once they got Millard, it was fairly easy to get Smitch, but Smitch wasn't arrested until a week or two later. People often think that's because they didn't necessarily know who he was, but that's not the case. They had Smitch under surveillance for a few days before they finally decided to pull the plug and arrest him. So they got Millard. Very soon after, they knew Smitch was the number two guy they were looking for, but they had him under surveillance for close to a week. From the evidence that we have right now, I believe that Mr. Bosma died that night. How did Tim Bosma die? He was shot, and we don't know who shot Tim Bosma, whether it was Millard, whether it was Smitch. It could have been both of them. But the prosecution was very good here. They told the jury, they said, it doesn't matter who shot him. And if you're asking yourself who shot Tim Bosma, then you're doing the wrong thing. Because if two people plan a crime and if someone ends up murdered, they're both responsible according to the law. Mark Smitch was an unemployed petty criminal who had a record that included cocaine possession and impaired driving. 
He had known Millard for a few years, and at one point lived in the house Millard shared with his father. He was an aspiring rapper who spent most of his time drinking and getting high with Millard. On the same day that Mark Smitch was arrested, a funeral was held for Tim Bosma. The devil led the vilest form of evil down my driveway, and it smiled at me before taking Tim away from me. Charlene Bosma, in eulogizing her husband, spoke of both the pain and comfort in seeing Tim and their daughter. Sometimes I look at her and it makes my heart ache because I miss him so much. And other times, I think God created this little girl in Tim's image, so he will always be with me. And I don't ever have to worry about forgetting his face. Next time on Betrayed, the evidence against Millard and Smitch lays bare their awful plans and also reveals a sinister history. The first person they killed was Laura Babcock. She went missing almost a year before Tim Bosma, and the police really blew it with that investigation. And casts the alleged 2012 suicide of Millard's father, Wayne, in a grim new light. And I walked back into my dad's room, and I called my mother, and I literally said I'm standing in my dad's room and there's blood all over his pillow and uh, he's dead. That's next time on Betrayed. For more on the books featured in this series, including Anne Brocklehurst's Dark Ambition, and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website at BetrayedPodcast.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Betrayed Podcast. Betrayed is a production of Penguin Random House Canada. It's written and produced by me, Tina Pitaway, with story editing and sound design by Paolo Pietropalo. Editorial oversight by Bhavna Chohan, Melanie Tutino, and Rachel Brown. Special thanks to Kristen Cochran, Robert Wheaton, Beth Lockley, Shannon Poos, Abdi Omer, and Laura Chapnick. <laughs>